You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So we're spending uh, this year going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? If you have, you know the premise of the show is that the owner of the company wants to know what's really going on. But as an owner of the company, and if you, you know, were to be recognized, you walk in a front door, everybody scatters immediately. Oh, aren't we doing a great job? I mean, it's just like, yeah, that's kind of fake. So instead, what happens in Undercover Boss is the owner dresses in disguise, goes to one of their franchises as an employee, and so they get the behind-the-scenes uh, real glimpse of what's going on. What we're going to see today is the first ever episode of Undercover Boss. It's Jesus going to a temple. And the temple is God's organization. He, I mean, belongs to him. He's the one who's supposed to be in charge. He's written the Bible. He's put policies and procedures in place. He's handed them an employee's manual. We call it the Old Testament. And he's given them his directives. Here is how you generate revenue. Here's how you spend revenue. Here's how you do customer service. In other words, here's how to run the temple. So God comes to earth. His name is Jesus Christ. He shows up undercover looks just like a humble Galilean peasant and he shows up at the temple and there he interfaces with all these religious people who don't understand worship, who don't understand him, who don't understand relationships. These are very devout religious people. Some of you perhaps grew up in devoutly religious homes. There are There is such a thing as good religion. James, Jesus' brother, in his letter in the New Testament, writes and talks about true religion is taking care of widows and orphans and those in need. He's talking about the way we do things like they should be done, biblically. But there's also man-made religion. It's not so good. This is where we are adding to what God says. We are modifying what God commands. And that's the human attempt to do things to impress God rather than simply obey God. So Jesus comes and deals with this strongly religious culture that has made a lot of man-made elements to try to glorify God. With that said, now before we step into this reading from John chapter 2, I want to give you permission to not just hear this story and look at the people that are being described and judge them and think, man, what a terrible bunch of people these were. But for us to read the Bible, for us to read God's word and maybe judge ourselves, here's how John describes our story. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, now keep that in mind because that's going to be important that they're celebrating that. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords 
How many of you didn't know Jesus was like Indiana Jones? He made a whip. He's angry. And he's going to start driving people out of the church. Now, can you imagine if that were to happen today, how the news would get to gravitate toward that? Here we are at first church, and Jesus is sitting in the back row, and he's braiding a whip. And before the service ends, people are running for their lives. He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Again, the season of what they are celebrating is important. It's Passover. It's a holiday, which literally means a holy day, a day that is supposed to be set aside to honor the Lord. Passover was in celebration of God's deliverance of his people so that they could worship him freely. Back in the Old Testament, story comes from Exodus. God's people are in Egypt. Ruling over them was a man who had all power and control. Financial, spiritual, physical, over all of the people. As a result, he oppressed God's people so that they were not spiritually able to worship him and him alone. That is God. But this man, Pharaoh, also oppressed God's people by financially keeping them poor in the position of a slave. God showed up and wanted his people to worship him to move them ahead to the promised land, to have them go toward the opportunities that he would establish for them. So Passover was remembering this event of their deliverance, their freedom. The occasion of John 2 is Jesus showing up at the temple for the Passover celebration. The temple, the place of God's presence. Now, it wasn't a building for God. God doesn't need to be housed anywhere. It was a building for God's people. And when we see the use of Father's house, as Jesus does here, it's as a family. God is our Father. We're in need of a home where God is pleased to just hang out with His kids for a while. That's the analogy. But for us, the center of our faith is not a place, it's a person. We don't go to a place. We don't go to Mecca or Jerusalem. We meet with a person named Jesus in whatever place we happen to be. Ultimately, the whole point of the temple is to get everyone ready for the coming of Jesus. He is the temple, the presence of God. He is the priest, the mediator between us and God. He is the ultimate sacrifice. So all of this, this whole temple system, it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus. So if you want to know, how do I get my prayers answered? Jesus. How do I get closer to God? Jesus. How do I live forever? Jesus. <laughs> you see the theme. So they're going to Jerusalem and Jesus shows up. Kind of find out they care more about the building than they do their God. That's a problem. So people from all over are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And what are we told that they're bringing with them? Cattle, sheep, doves, 
it depended upon your, your, uh, your ability to, to pay and, and what you could afford. But in other words, you weren't supposed to come to worship empty-handed. You're going on this trip to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the temple because it's Passover. You're going to have to have your family in tow. You've got to pack suitcases. And then you've got to bring animals, whether it's cattle, sheep, doves. It's all a major inconvenience. But this is how God prescribed how they were to worship him. God expects first fruits. That is the first and best. So if you're going to bring an animal, it better be the best that you have. And God expects something that is excellent. That's all about God first, putting him first. What we tend to do in our culture is put him last. Did you know in the Bible that sacrifice and worship are often interchangeable words? So that means you're not worshiping unless you're sacrificing. So if you say, I I didn't give anything, you didn't really worship. Someone might say, well, I can't worship God through sacrifice because I don't have anything left. That's what happens when you give to God last. If you give to God first, he's in first position. And that will cause you to order the rest of your finances in such a way that you're a good steward. And it's all an act of faith to say, okay, God, if I do things the way you ask me to do them, then I'm asking, I'm trusting that you will provide for me. Imagine if Jesus came to your house for dinner. There gathered your family, your friends, and you say, Jesus, you're going to eat last. We're going to have our fill. And then if there's anything left over on our plates, we'll scrape it onto your plate. That's what you get. You're welcome. That's leftovers. That's not first priority. So in Leviticus, God said, bring me your cattle, your sheep, your doves, because that was their currency. That was their portfolio. And what God said was, bring me your best. Don't bring me your lame sacrifices. That's how God commanded that he be worshiped. Well, here's what happened. Some people started bringing lame sacrifices. So they needed to put an inspector in charge at the temple. So when people brought their sacrifices, they give it a thumb up, thumbs up or thumbs down. Well, as you know, people just dump things, anything at churches even. You know, we don't want a three-legged chair. That's not really helpful or, you know, a velvet picture of something. Um, so you need somebody to give it a thumbs up or thumbs down. Assess, evaluate. No, we don't want that. Or yeah, that's acceptable. So people started bringing lame sacrifices to the temple. And the temple had to set up a standards committee. Well, over time, the people began to wonder, well, how do I worship God? I don't have an acceptable sacrifice. So the people of the temple came up with a business opportunity. How about if we sell some acceptable sacrifices right here? And wouldn't you know, before long, what would happen? They start jacking up the prices. Then to increase their profit margin, they decided, well, what if we rejected all sacrifices that came from homes? That way they'd have to buy from us. 
And who gets a cut? (laughs) The religious leaders. That's what happens when ministry is handed over exclusively to those who are making economic decisions for their own interests and not spiritual decisions for God's interests. So maybe you're wondering right now, do I sacrifice? Do I worship? Am I generous? Maybe that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. So in John 2, God's people are not really coming with a heart for worship and sacrifice and generosity. Their leaders are totally exploiting and taking advantage of them all in the name of God. And Jesus shows up and says, that's not how I want it done. In addition, there's these, this group, money changers. What are these guys all about? Well, in the Old Testament is prescribed a tithe, 10% that you're supposed to bring. But in addition to the 10%, that's just kind of the baseline. There would be other offerings and other festivals that you would give toward and uh, prescribed in the Old Testament is something called a temple tax. So this is over and above the tithe. The temple tax was for the upkeep and maintenance of the temple. But one of their man-made rules is that we're not going to accept a Roman coin with a godless picture of somebody on it as temple tax money. We're not going to accept godless Roman coins for God. So what are we going to do? We'll invent temple money. And there's an exchange rate. Now, some people might hear this and say, that's exactly why ministry shouldn't be influenced by finances. That's not the point. God has already told them, pay the temple tax, offer a sacrifice. Here's how I want it done. The problem is not that they were generating revenue. The problem is that they were generating revenue in a way that was against how God wanted it done. So it's not a sin for your business to make a profit as long as you're doing it in a godly way. This system was ungodly. They are not doing it in the way that God intended and therefore it was unjust. Remember the context of our story is Passover. What was the whole point of Passover? A corrupt economic spiritual system was oppressing God's people, taking their money. They couldn't worship God freely, so God delivered them. And sadly, centuries later, they set up Jerusalem to look just like Egypt. Because the problem is always in the human heart. And here Jesus shows up and he starts cleaning house. And he begins by making a whip. And what he's saying is God wants to be worshipped, but not like this. Let me just say this. Let this sink in. Worship is not for you. Worship is for God. Sometimes what happens, if we think worship is for you, then you become the customer. You're the consumer, and we've got to serve you by offering, providing religious goods and services. And then it's not worship of God, it's worship of you. And some people will say, yeah, that that form of worship doesn't work for me. It's not for you. It's for God. 
The people in Jesus' day are worshiping in a way that works for them, but not in a way that works for God. So God, in Jesus Christ, shows up and says, what are you doing? They said, we're doing church. And he says, that's not how I want it done. The Jews then responded to him. What sign, Jesus, can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. By the way, they've got another 38 years to go before it's completed. And you're going to raise it in three days. Jesus, we know you're a carpenter, but you're not that good. They obviously misunderstood. The temple he had spoken of was his body. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Think about this. They had been building this temple for 46 years. They had another 38 years to go. They finished around 64 AD. Do you know when the temple was destroyed? Do you remember? 70 AD. (laughs) Yeah, so for 84 years of working, giving, sacrificing, ripping people off, And in six years, it was all gone. You know why? Because if you got Jesus, you don't need any of that. Again, the center of our faith is not a place. It's a person. His name is Jesus. I'm glad we have a church home. But let's guard our hearts that we don't turn this place into an idol. Let's not drive in here and say, well, that's my parking spot and this is my seat. Look, there are plenty to go around. Every front row is available. (laughs) Let's say, this is a house for God's people. We want to be a loving and welcoming home. We want this place to be a place where people are going to come to meet with God. And we all want our resources to be stewarded wisely. So they don't understand worship. Ultimately, they don't understand Jesus And maybe that's why some people say, well, the church shouldn't be run like a business. But to a certain extent, we are a business. We have employees, we own property, we better abide by tax codes. So there is an element to ministry that is business, but we're also a family. And the way that a family business works, so if you own a business and It's in the family, and you're running it as a family. You know it's got to be done in a way that's professional, but also in a way that you love each other personally. So it's highly relational, but it's got to be managed in such a way that it's professional and godly. And the problem with the story from John 2 is that they were running not a family business, as it should have been. They simply just wanted to see it as a business And when Jesus shows up and he calls this place, not just a house, but whose house? My father's house. 
And what he's saying is you're a family and you need to organize in a way that the Father wants. And let me just say, that's a principle for all of us to operate under, not just for the church. So what is it that God owns? Everything. That means he owns your business and he owns the way that you do family. And so as believers, everything that we're involved in needs to be done by his principles. Not ripping people off, not putting profit margin over relationships. So they don't understand worship. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand relationships. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let me pivot from the financial to the relational. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all tell the story of Jesus. They all share this story. Well, Mark, in his telling of it, in Mark chapter 11, he has this same event of Jesus at the temple, but he adds this. Jesus said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. In the temple was a place designated as the house of prayer for all the nations. It was called the court of the Gentiles. Here's how the temple was constructed. In the very center was the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was most said to have resided. And so only the high priest could enter into that Holy of Holies one time a year. Just outside the Holy of Holies was the area that other priests, other religious leaders could, could hang around and be close. Outside of that was the court of men. Outside of that was the court of women. And outside of that, to the furthest ring out, is the court of the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Us. I'm sure not of Jewish descent. <laughs> Salibi is Arabic. It's kind of the opposite, I guess. <laughs> there were two categories of race, Jews and Gentiles. And way back in Genesis, Abraham was to be a blessing to all nations. So God's heart was always for both Jews and Gentiles. So the way this works is, if you are stuck out in the court of the Gentiles... That meant you did not believe in the God of the Bible. You didn't grow up in a believing home. Your mom and dad were not believers. You didn't read and were not taught the Old Testament. Maybe you're there because you did get converted somewhere along the way. Or maybe you have heard about and want to know more of the God of the Bible who offers deliverance and freedom and forgiveness to his people. And so you too, as a Gentile, make your way to Jerusalem, to the temple. I'm sure one look at you, they would have known which category you were in, but let's just suppose they ask you the question, are you Jew or Gentile? And you say, what does that mean? They say, okay, you go out to the Gentile section. 
Where did they set up the money changers and the corrupt sacrificial system in the court of the Gentiles? It's the place where the unbelievers would gather. This is why Jesus is so angry. Where does Jesus show up? The court of the Gentiles. If there were anyone who should have had VIP access into the temple, it was Jesus. But instead, he wants to go to the underbelly of the operation. How's it going out there? Well, there's a carnival atmosphere out there in the one place for people to come and pray and learn about God. What this means is that God's people should be generous so that those who don't know God aren't aren't, um, picking up the tab. God's people are. This would be like us, you coming here for the very first time and you're met out in the parking lot and somebody asks, you first time visitor? Yes. Great. That'll be $35 to get in. Really? Yes. And by the way, you can't go into the main room. You have to stay out back. Hopefully you can hear from a distance. Okay. Uh, Well, I understand that y'all are going through a book of the Bible. Yes. Would you like to purchase a copy of the gospel of John? No, thanks. I have my own copy. Sorry. (laughs) that Bible is not going to work here. You have to buy the Benton Heights Presbyterian approved version of the Bible. That'll cost $200. If you'll swipe your card here, go around to the back, hopefully you'll hear from a distance and you'll get saved. If not, oh well, we don't care. That was the heart of what was going on in the only place on earth where you could go to learn about God. I love you, but let me ask you, when you come here, are you thinking about other people? You see these people, these religious people, all they're looking for is the most ease. What box can I check that I've done my religious duty? I showed up. They're not coming with a heart for God. They're not coming with a heart for worship. They're not thinking about other people. They're not welcoming of strangers and lost people. They're actually not there to even meet with God. They're there to meet their religious obligation and duty. And as believers, we always have to guard our hearts. Now, what I love is Jesus shows up in the court of Gentiles. And it says, many believed in him. That just goes to show you that they want to believe in Jesus. There are many who want to believe in Jesus if we would not put up obstacles and if we would pursue them for a relationship. They want to believe in Jesus. Maybe they've heard how he offers deliverance and freedom and forgiveness. And lost people need to know that and experience that. But we all do. We need to know and experience how much Jesus loves us, that he would go to a cross and his body be destroyed in your place for your sins. And then on the third day, he would be raised to life. Only Jesus can do that. Do you know him? You can make that decision today. Look, if if you're here with us in person or online. And this is maybe an opportunity that you've said, you know, I I never really have stepped into surrendering my life to God. I don't even know what that 
what that would look like or what words would I use? What do I have to do? I want to I pray a prayer over you, but maybe this will also be your prayer. Uh, let's just go before the Lord. Dear God, all my life I have been running from you, pretending that I was good enough to get into heaven, that there was no need for me to worry about sin because there are so many people who are worse sinners than me. And yet I realize that I'm as much a sinner as every other person and as much in need of a savior. I realize that all sin is equal in your eyes and the punishment for sin is spiritual death and separation from you for all eternity. So Lord, I humbly confess my pride and foolishness. I admit I am a sinner in thought, word, and deed. And I am in desperate need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I confess that it is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus that my sins can be forgiven. And I want to believe and I want to know that Jesus Christ died to pay the price for my sins, to forgive me of my sins, to break the power of sin in my life, and to clothe me in his righteousness. Thank you for this free gift. And Lord, if there is anyone who has prayed that prayer, give them the full assurance that you answer that with a resounding yes. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together to hear your word today. And whatever teaching, application, principle you have for us, that we would take it to heart. And Lord God, as we've come to worship today, not just check a box of religious obligation, but to meet in the Father's house as children of God so we pray for that relationship with you to be stronger, to be, to be enlivened. So that Holy Spirit, we invite you into our presence to lead us through the rest of our worship. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.